Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Well, as I said, we're in Ecclesiastes, and it's been two interesting weeks to start the year. I appreciate your patience, uh, because it's a little bit of a downer, this book, right? I mean, it starts out with this word about everything is meaningless. And I know some of you are thinking, this is going to be a great year ahead. We're kicking it off just right. But today we're making a turn into the good news of this book, the wisdom that's here in Ecclesiastes. And so I hope you're uh, turned there. We'll go there in just a moment. But we live in a world that sounds a lot like the teacher's words, a lot of cynicism in our world. So what does it look like to live a meaningful life? That's been the question we've asked. How do we live with hope and joy in the midst of so much cynicism around us. The teacher and the author have some words to give us this morning, I think, to lead us out with wisdom and with joy and with hope as we close this series and we look forward to what God has next week. Let's, let's cl- start our, our time in prayer this morning as we open God's Word together. Oh God, you are our God and earnestly we seek you. We thank you for the life you have given to us and for the hope and joy you have filled our lives with. God, so many of us this morning are, uh, are, are caught here uh, in the midst of joy that we feel and in the midst of sorrow that we feel. Perhaps it's the loss of uh, a friend or, or our loss of health or loss of a job or some challenges that we're facing. It's in the mixture of those things that we gather this morning in all kinds of places. And my prayer this morning as we start this new year, as we're challenged by the great challenges ahead of us that are positive and those that may be uh, hard to see hope in, that you would fill us with your wisdom that you would fill us with your joy and your hope, and that these words that were written thousands of years ago, uh, we would find to be uh, so present and needed in our lives today. So I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching, so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we lift up this prayer, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, as a reminder about this book, uh, Ecclesiastes has two voices that we hear from, throughout its pages. And so far, we really haven't heard much from the author. We read verse 1. That's basically an introduction of the second voice in the book, which is the teacher's voice. And most of the book is the teacher's voice. It's that meaningless piece we've heard. It's, it's all these pursuits that the teacher, that many assume would be Solomon. It's a king of David, a, or a king of Jerusalem, a son of David. So you have seven verses, the first verse and the last six verses, that are the author's voice. And we're going to get to that in a little bit this morning. But the rest of the book is the teacher's voice, the teacher who gives all this wisdom uh, and challenge from the life that the teacher has lived. So I'm going to come back to that author later in the sermon, but first I want to conclude with a few words from the teacher. And uh, I want to remind you again of a key term that we've been talking about since uh, week one in the series. And it comes in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Again, this phrase we've heard again and again throughout the book. It says there, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And we've talked the last two weeks about that verse and how this word meaningless that shows up is a Hebrew term, havel, which means vapor or mist or smoke. 
Uh, or meaningless is a way to do that. And I, I showed you week one the sense of that's what this is. When, we, when you think about water that just kind of evaporates into there, that's what the word havel means. It's like we're trying to grab onto life, but it's hard to fully get that. And so every, the teacher's saying over and over again, everything is meaningless. Everything is something you can't hang on to, that you can't quite grab hold of. So this teacher has been trying to find pleasure in all of this mist, in the midst of wisdom and in the midst of uh, wealth and work and pleasure. All of these paths the teacher has tried to find meaning in. Now there's a lot of cynicism in words like these. Uh, But there are four lessons in the midst of all that cynicism that I think are very good gems, very good things that you can kind of uh, quarry out of these, uh, these passages. And I want to draw just four lessons from the teacher that I think we can carry forward that are meaningful for a wise life today. And then we're going to turn over to the, the, the author's words at the end of this book. So the first of those lessons that the teacher gives to us is this. Everything you experience has its time and its place. For anyone to live a wise life, the teacher believes this is an important thing to say. This is probably one of the most recognizable places in the book of Ecclesiastes, thanks to that song that we all have been thinking through in this book by the birds, right? Uh, It comes in chapter 3, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. Listen to these words. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. If you want to live a life of wisdom, the teacher says it's important that you're not surprised by anything. There's a time for everything. And that means if things are particularly hard, just live a little more life and things will make a turn for the better. And if things are going just as you want them to and you want to hold on to it, well, the teacher would say you can't do it. It's going to make a turn the other way as well. There's a phrase that's been helpful to me in recent years that I don't remember who it was that shared it, but that phrase is get on the balcony. What they were trying to say was, in the midst of the challenges that you're facing, in the midst of sometimes when we get those challenges in front of us that seem like everything is consumed by this thing in front of us, we get kind of tunnel vision in the midst of things. And get on the balcony is this reminder to get some perspective on things. That, that if, if you're on the floor in the middle of it, or you're looking through a knothole in a fence, you can't see everything there is to see, but God has larger perspective. Get on the balcony, get further back, get perspective. And, and Ecclesiastes 3 It's one of those places that's trying to tell us the same thing. Get some perspective. There's a time for everything. Things will make a turn. Things will get better. The second lesson I think the teacher gives us to remind ourselves of is that life is best lived in community rather than alone. Now, this is a section uh, in Ecclesiastes that gets read a lot during weddings, but I think it can be applied to a lot of different contexts. This is Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and following. Teacher says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
teacher says, if you want to do life well, do, don't do it alone. Life is really meant to be a team sport. And, and we believe the same thing here at Greenville Oaks about community. That's why our groups are so important, is we have to do life in community together because our spiritual journey will not extend near as far uh, if it's not for the people around us that provide wisdom and help us up in the midst of times of challenge and trouble. So these are wise lessons the teacher gives. The third one is this. Learn to listen more often and more quickly than you speak. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 3, listen to these words. The teacher says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on the earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. There's great wisdom in this, and a lot of us can think back over our lives to where the opposite was true and we got into trouble. Trust is built quickly when we make promises and we walk through to complete those, but trust can be stolen quickly when we make commitments and vows and don't follow through on those vows. Again, there are many wise lessons the teacher gives to us, but the final one comes in his final words in the final chapter of Ecclesiastes. So turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses one, or verse 1. Let's read this together. It says, there, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now you can still see the cynicism of the teacher, right? Things are going to get awful even if they're good, right? There's a time for everything. But in the midst of this, it's interesting that he draws attention to God. He draws attention to the Creator and says, it's important that you remember the Creator in the days of your youth. And this is the fourth lesson I think that's really important, that's really a little bit counterintuitive to the rest of the book, because it's different than the rest of the book. See, one of the keys to understanding the perspective of the teacher in Ecclesiastes is, uh, is his life, his perspective of life on earth. The teacher is merely looking at things through his perspective, from a human perspective. But as believers, we know there are other perspectives than that. In fact, there's a phrase that shows up in the book that I want to point your attention to, and it's the phrase, under the sun. Under the sun. This phrase actually shows up 27 times. It's something we can read over and not pay attention to, but I think it's very important to understand the perspective that the teacher in Ecclesiastes has. Let me read it here in... uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. This is just one of those 27 examples. He says, I, the teacher who was king over Israel and Jerusalem, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now it's interesting that the teacher lets us in a little bit on his perspective to say, look, under the sun, life on earth, all of these things are meaningless when you pursue them. But for those of us who are people of faith, doesn't that beg another question? Maybe there's another perspective. Maybe there's more that's going on than just what we see under the sun. And that's what's so fascinating, I think, about this same teacher who says the words I just read in chapter 12. Let me read them one more time again, because uh, he begins to say, look, To those of you who are young, don't just look at the way I've looked at things. I think that's part of what he's saying in these final words. Again, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I will find no pleasure in them. 
See, as the teacher's living in the second half of life, it's as if he's looking back and he's saying, I, I looked at things naturally. I looked at them through my own vision. I, I didn't get up on the balcony and have perspective about all that happens in life. And what I want to encourage you in the first half of life, the teacher says, is remember your creator. Remember there's more than just the perspective that I've shared with you. And that's when the author breaks back in for these final six verses of the book in chapter 12. The ultimate point that's trying to be made. In some ways, uh, I think of this like the author giving a lot of space for this teacher to speak and then trying to come back in and say, here's the point I've been trying to make. It's like a big, long illustration, right? It'd be like if we showed a, a, a movie on Sunday morning on the screen and then I popped up and I said, yeah, that's all kind of bogus, isn't it? Because we're Christians and this is how we see it. I think that's what the author is doing in this book giving space for the teacher to give perspective under the sun and then coming back in to make the final point that we need to hear clearly. And so listen to the clear perspective the author has, the wise perspective that's there. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9. This is the conclusion of the book. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring into judgment uh, every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The conclusion the author brings at the end of all the teachers said is, fear God and keep his commandments. And why? Well, he gives a reason why after. He says, because all of these deeds are going to be brought into judgment. The good things we've done, the evil things that we've done. Now, I want to break down this phrase because it's the conclusion of it all. Fear God, keep His commandments. What does that mean and why is this the conclusion of the matter? I mentioned that this book, Ecclesiastes, is in the wisdom literature. So there's lots of books uh, that provide wisdom in Scripture, but there are three in particular that are part of this wisdom literature that we've talked a bit about in this series. One is uh, Proverbs, another is Job, and then Ecclesiastes. And... uh, I want to read from a couple other books here that talk about this fear of the Lord. Uh, one of those comes in Psalms, actually, right before that. Psalm 111, verse 10. Listen to the word there about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. So here's this phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. This is the way Proverbs says it. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Again, these are spread throughout these books. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This phrase shows up a lot, that if you're pursuing wisdom, if you're pursuing knowledge, the starting point of those things, or the ending point, the conclusion for the author in Ecclesiastes is, fear the Lord. Fear God. Keep His commands. Now, I think it's important for us to understand what this is because for some of us, we grew up afraid a lot, afraid maybe of, of not having enough to go around or afraid of retribution or maybe abuse at the hands of those who are around us. 
To be clear, fearing the Lord is not fear as we often think about it. The fear of the Lord is not living in constant fear of retribution and punishment. The wisdom tradition teaches us that we're to have a sense of respect, a sense of awe, a sense of wonder and submission to God. And so that's what fear is. It's to respect and stand in awe of God. That's the beginning place of wisdom. Because when we do that, we're able to hear from God the things that are His good precepts to follow them. When we stand in awe of God, what we're saying is, God, you've designed this world, you've designed us, and so whatever commands you have, they're going to be for our good. They're going to lead us to the path of life. And when we do that, we can find meaning we pursued and failed to find in all the paths that the teacher talked about throughout the book. Now, again, wisdom does not mean, or the fear of the Lord does not mean there aren't going to be external struggles that we have along the way. This is not a promise that life is going to go smoothly all the time, or all of our prayers that we want will be answered in the timing we want them. But it is a promise that we'll find joy in ways we wouldn't on other paths. Meaning is possible. Hope is possible. Joy is possible for those who fear the Lord and who keep His commandments. Because when you choose to fear the Lord and keep His commandments first and foremost, something the teacher failed to do with his under-the-sun perspective, then you can begin to enjoy so many other things that you would find meaningless otherwise. Remember about all those paths the teacher had described throughout the book that he tried to find meaning in, found it meaningless, talked about wisdom, that pursuit, toil and work. He talked about riches. He was the wealthiest man in the world. I mean, he goes over and over again about all these things he pursued. Like many of us, we've tried to find meaning and success in all these different things. Last week, we had the ladder up here and this climb that we have to find meaning at the top of that ladder. Many of us, I think, can relate to what the teachers taught. When we pursue meaning in all the pursuits the teacher mentions throughout Ecclesiastes, we find the same thing. It doesn't fulfill. But we also know that God created the world for our enjoyment. God created us and gave us abundance and gifts all throughout that He wants us to enjoy. So the problem is not when we enjoy God's creation. The problem is when we enthrone God's creation. I think that's what the, the, the Ecclesiastes teacher is trying to say, what the author is trying to say in the end is, uh, idolatry is the problem in this book. And what is idolatry? That seems like an archaic and ancient term. I I did a series a few years ago on this, and I I came to this definition. Idolatry is when we make good things into ultimate things. We take the good things God has created, and we actually enthrone them. We, We disorder things and put them above God who's created them. And every time we do that, things get out of order. Idolatry is when we, when our pursuit of God is substituted with our pursuit of things or people. And no person No thing can bear the weight of ultimate meaning in our lives. This is true when it comes to relationships. It's true when it comes to our work. If you want to ruin something, put it at the most important place in your life. This is true for your kids. So many of us would say this, right? That our kids are the center of our lives. They're everything that we want to pour into. But if your self-worth is going to be determined by their success in life, by them pursuing the path that you've laid out for them perfectly, You're putting a weight on them that they cannot bear. A a weight that was only meant for God to bear, to be at the center of things. But if that becomes the secondary pursuit to God already who's at the center, all of a sudden there's a joy that can come that doesn't come when everything has to be borne out in them. The same is true in marriage, right? Talk about putting marriage, our, our, our spouse, at the center of our lives. And certainly 
Our spouse needs to be a priority in our lives, but God has to be the one who comes first. And when we do that, all of a sudden, we're not placing a weight on our spouse to fulfill us in the ways that maybe the world might teach us otherwise. That's what idolatry is. It's not that we place bad things on the throne of our lives. We're more tempted to place good things at the center. The problem is when we misplace things, when we put created things in front of the Creator, we're never satisfied. We always find disappointment, meaninglessness on the other side of things. So what I think the teacher, what the author is ultimately trying to get to here is stop making all of these pursuits the center of your life. Find your identity and your worth in God. Fear God and keep His commandments. And if you'll do that, you'd be amazed how much you can enjoy all these pursuits that you couldn't enjoy before. With that in mind, uh, listen to some of the harshest words that the teacher has. This is in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these words. It says, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so they lack nothing their hearts uh, desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. That term is strong, isn't it? Not just meaninglessness. At this point, he says it's evil. And what is the evil that's described there? This is what the teacher says is evil. Evil is being surrounded by abundance while not being able to enjoy the abundance. And based on that definition, has there ever been a more evil time on planet earth? I mean, things are easier in many ways than they have ever been more abundance than there has ever been. And we live in one of the central places where that's happened. And we can see that as gift, and we ought to honor God for it. But if we have all of those things and we can't enjoy them, that's what the teacher says is actually evil. But there's a way to enjoy it. And the, and the, and the author says it to us. Fear God Keep His commandments. If you choose to pursue God as the first priority in your life, if you choose to worship God and live in the way of Jesus, you'll be able to enjoy all the gifts that God has given to you. And that's what joy is, isn't it? Having abundance or having whatever it is that God has given to you and being able to enjoy those gifts. If you want to learn how to have hope and joy in a world filled with cynicism, start with God at the center of things. Fear God, keep His commandments, and guess what? All of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, right? This is Jesus' teaching. If you'll put that first. And all of a sudden, if you'll do that, then the sunsets and the friends you have and the good meals that you enjoy and the experiences you get to have, those things all of a sudden become things you can enjoy without needing them to be everything for you. In fact, on second glance, this teacher has left breadcrumbs throughout this book. Listen to some of these breadcrumbs that you can enjoy as the teacher teaches. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment? He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. 
I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is nothing, neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, or wisdom. It's fascinating in those words, isn't it? Here's this person who said meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But in the midst of it, there's these crumbs along the way that says, enjoy good food and good drink. Enjoy the work that God has given you to do. Enjoy the, the, the wife that you have. It's interesting that Solomon's the one teaching this and, and leaves that singular, right? Enjoy the wife you have. Maybe he's learned something along the way. There's a lot in this world to be cynical about. You can choose to see everything as meaningless. But there's another path, another way to live your life. What the teacher says is true. We're all going to die. We're all going to experience heartbreak and betrayal. We're all going to be cheated out of money that's ours. Everyone has, uh, who has the gift of a, a spouse or a child will experience disappointment. And when you experience those things, you can choose cynicism. And cynicism is so attractive. And the reason is because it protects us, doesn't it? Cynicism is like a, a jacket we put around ourselves. We don't get our hopes up, so we're not disappointed. Cynicism in many ways is a, a lazy way to live. It's a way that doesn't go to the end to see the joy that God has in all things. Cynicism is a way that we protect our hearts when we've been let down. But there's another way. And the author of Ecclesiastes offers us a better way. Fear God and keep His commandments. And while you're at it, remember that life is short. It won't last forever. So enjoy good food and good drink. Enjoy the work God has given you to do in this world. Enjoy life with the people that God has given you around you to enjoy it with. Enjoy all the days of this meaning, meaningless life, right? You're just here for a minute. So enjoy yourselves and do something meaningful while you're at it. How many of you are familiar with the term warmonger? It's defined this way by Merriam-Webster. Warmonger is one who urges or attempts to stir up a war. But many of you may not know a word that's similar to it, and it's the word cheesemonger. I don't hear that near as often. According to the same source, a cheesemonger is a merchant who specializes in cheese. Some of us have big dreams in life. If you haven't set out your career path, those charcuterie boards are, are, are popular right now. 
According to this source, there, there's actually source, uh, stores in Europe that actually have cheesemonger on the outside of the store, which makes, I guess, this guy a cheesemonger, which would be a great title, I think, for one of us in this church, if no one else. This is a career choice for those of you that might choose, but if, if warmonger is a word and cheesemonger is a word, I want to make up a word this morning, and that's the word joymonger. That's what I want to be described as, somebody who specializes in learning to enjoy life as God intended it to be. Are there all kinds of reasons to be hopeless in this world? Absolutely. If you choose cynicism, you'll never end the number of things to be cynical about because if you open your eyes to it, there are plenty of reasons to be cynical. It's a safe way to live. But what I think the the author of Ecclesiastes is encouraging us to do is to first fear God and keep His commandments. Put God at the center of our lives. And when you are able to do that, all of the gifts that God has given you to enjoy, you can enjoy them without them needing to be everything in your life. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.